Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. It's January the 18th. Julie, I had three different occurrences today where I was interacting. Well, they weren't exactly the same, but two of them were new agents. New agents, mm-hmm. get this, whose licenses haven't even been issued yet. That's pretty new. That's new, right? Mm-hmm. So they, their ink hasn't even been applied to their license yet for it to dry because our normal joke is the ink hasn't even dried on their license. So these guys didn't even have licenses. So I had two calls where there were texts actually like that. Then I had another one that was someone who was uh, wanting to get back in the business. There's, so there's an influx, as you and I predicted, of a whole bunch of people getting into real estate, which by the way, we think that there's going to be a tsunami of agents getting into real estate, uh, mostly from the millennial side because they're looking, they're realizing and they're seeing real estate as an opportunity um, and they're being opportunistic and they're being smart about it to basically own a business and be entrepreneurs and entrepreneurialism amongst millennials is celebrated. Whereas in previous generations, it wasn't so much. So the bottom line is, is real estate is going to start seeing even more and more agents getting in. And the question will always be, what the heck am I supposed to do? And unfortunately, what most of them will follow prey of and believe is true is they're going to hear the same uh, mishmash. Join a team, buy leads, do this, do the other thing. In other words, they're never going to actually learn how to uh, be successful selling real estate. No one's ever going to slow them down and teach them the real, um, essentially the real work of real estate. They're all supposed to pick up those skills through osmosis. Now, there is something to be said for learning while you're earning, and we're all about that. But fundamentally, your formidable years in real estate or as you're entering back into real estate, if you make a few key mistakes, your probability of of, of failure goes through the roof. And there's different statistics depending on what you believe. But something like 90% of all agents fail within 18 months. Um, and so in our belief and our the way we coach and train people is that we believe that the reason that most people fail is because they never actually had the foundation to build a successful business. In other words, their initial um, you know efforts in real estate were spent doing shiny object type things, were spent doing things that wouldn't have resulted in them being able to have a sustainable long-term business plan. Can you relate? Yes. And in fact, uh, even though we have a, a great mixture in our premier coaching program, we have grizzled veterans, we have newbies, we have fresh agents. This comes up to your point, people who don't even have really the ink dried yet, people returning to real estate. And then there's what I call the failure to launch. Yeah. Right. So they've, they've been licensed for three to five years, maybe, maybe even longer in some cases, but they've never really had any direction. And maybe they've floated around and been samplers, you know, where they're sampling this and trying that and nothing really ever took in a significant way. So This podcast and probably tomorrow, maybe even the next day, is for all of those categories. It also applies to brokers who have people joining them that are in those situations. And maybe they feel like they're just so busy they don't don't have time to lead them. So use our bullet-pointed, step-by-step, very specific action plan. In fact, it's a 16-point massive action plan. Remember that knowledge equals confidence, knowledge equals confidence, and ignorance equals fear. This plan is specifically set up to get you into knowledge as quickly as possible to build your confidence and to help you erase the whole, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to find this, I don't know where to start. 
So if you're ready, we can jump right in. Well, I'm going to give them your first point, but I'm going to give them a little precursor to the first point. Um, I went on both those calls today when I was trying to answer these guys, or again, I said calls, but they're texts, right? Um, I was telling both of them, and I'm going to suggest this to you all as well. Definitely go get our book, Harris Rules. You know, it's going to have over 500 five-star reviews um, pretty soon. And there's a reason why so many agents, tens of thousands of people have been listening and reading uh, that book. I mean, it's an, available on Audible as well. It is literally your A to Z complete business system with regards to scaling up a real estate team or with regards to not scaling up a team but having an incredibly profitable real estate business. Julie, through the book, because she did most of the work, gives you different directions that you can go. You know, a lot of our competitors try to pigeonhole us of being anti-team. We're absolutely not anti-team. You know, we're anti, uh, basically we're anti-teams that don't make at least 50% profit, which in essence does make us then effectively anti-team. For the most part. Yeah. We're anti-dysfunctional, uh, not-for-profit team. Yeah, okay? exactly. So if you're going to, yeah. that's the main thing that you've got to remember in real estate. And I want you to, just, again, just please remember this. Most people who are going to be bringing you advice and suggestions on what to do are giving you advice and suggestions what to do that are essentially uh, for their own benefit, not for your benefit. So for example, you're going to get a lot of pressure to join a team. Well, as a team member, you're going to basically be a cog in somebody else's machine and you're never really going to, you're essentially procrastinating learning the real skills to be a, a listing agent among other things. So we strongly suggest that if you're going to you know, join a team, join it for a very short period of time and then have a plan to basically go out on your own. But what we always suggest is that you don't join a team. And I know a lot of you will join a team just because you want access to leads and that's your thing. You think, well, if I have more leads, I'm going to be able to basically fix all my problems. And generally speaking, more leads is better than fewer leads for sure. But here's where the fallacy is, is in that logic. If you don't know how to pre-qualify, if you don't know how to present, if you don't know how to close, if you don't know how to negotiate, you're the, you know, more leads is not your problem. Your problem is skills. If you don't have the confidence to know how to have conversations, if you don't have all sorts of essentially very preliminary basic sales skills mastered, or at least you're on your way to mastering, leads are not your problem. Your problem is going to be essentially not knowing what to do with the leads once you have them. And by the way, the answer to what to do with the lead once you have them is not just put them in a funnel, not just put them in a drip campaign. You're going to have to realize that the really, if you want to be long-term successful in this sales business or anything else, you're going to have to learn the art and science of having meaningful conversations that moves your uh, client forward at the, for, towards the accomplishment of their goal. I mean, that's basically it. That's what all a salesperson does. Help somebody else accomplish their goals and you help enough people accomplish their goals. Guess what happens? You'll have more opportunities to accomplish yours as well, financially and otherwise. So as you're going through this, just remember num rule number one is don't skip rule number one, right? And definitely get our book, Harris Rules. So Mrs. Harris? Yes. Yeah, so your 16-point massive action plan. Some of these are very simple. Some of them are actually required for you to keep your license. So some of these will go by fairly quickly. And you, you want to put a star next to things that you've got to get done. And I would highly recommend that you put a date by which you will do this. So don't take all year to do 16 points. Take This should take probably 30 days or less. So point number one, complete your required post-licensing CE, continuing ed credit, or some places is called qualifying education, before it's too late. If you haven't done it yet, schedule it so it's one less thing to worry about. The, the main point about that is you can actually choose what you take if the clock isn't running out. And we'll talk more about what you should probably take in a minute. Point number two, take an MLS class at your local board. Most agents that don't take the MLS class only know how to do a couple of little widgets. There's, there's so much more your MLS knows how to do. 
Every MLS system is more robust and has much more functionality than you learn from your broker or manager or figuring it out on your own. This is going to help you with your comparative market analysis research, your but CMA, as well as searches for properties for I, buyers. I remember when you took this class at the MLS, it was after mm -hmm. we'd already been in real estate for like 18 months. Yeah. And then you went and took the class. And what your big takeaway was is all the things you just said, but also it allowed you to do a more competitive market analysis of all yes. of our competitors. Oh yeah, not yeah. just the homes for sale, and the then when stuff we, you haven't even thought of. Right, exactly. We <laughs> yeah. could actually go in, and you're, and they can teach you how to do this, mm -hmm. and study what your competitors' days in the market is, list to sell price ratio, their absorption on their listings. You can even go as far as to figure out like all kinds of very. You know, honestly, things that you don't know that the MLS knows about your business. And once you take the MLS class, you'll be able to share that. You'll be able to have that information. It does give you a competitive advantage. Like, you know, is some what is somebody's market share in a particular neighborhood? And, you know, all these little statistical things that you think, well, they aren't, they aren't that important. They are critically especially important, now. especially now. And when you're going on listing appointments and you're competing with, uh, for, uh, you know, obviously the seller to list with you, you, and this is what we eventually did, is we were able to actually take a list and we, Julie would turn it out prior to every listing appointment, and we would show who actually was dominant, just not just in terms of home sales, but also who double ended the most listings, who actually got the highest list to sell price ratio, who had the tons of expireds. Exactly, which listing agent had the most expireds, and we just gave that information uh, to the seller, and the seller then could cut through all the Mickey Mouse that may have been presented to them and have the actual statistical analytical truth. And I, after a while, hopefully you guys become very successful. But one of the things Julie and I used to do as how many agents were there in RMLS? Do you remember? There were a ton. Mm, I don't know. 30,000 or yeah, something. Yeah. But we would go to uh, listing appointments and we would have a list of the top, what was it, like 500 agents, right? Mm -hmm. And it would, and we had, we had it bound and it was in this big, you know, three ring binder and it was this big clunky thing. But what we would do is we would, we obviously had it highlighted where we were on the list and we would drop this big three ring binder if we knew we were competing um, on the desk for the seller to see or on the kitchen table, you know, and we'd ask the seller to flip through there to find the agent that they were all that they were also considering uh, and this was very effective when we were competing against centers of influence of class client type agents right because if there's that you know close in uh, connection generally speaking they're going to feel a little bit more obligated from a personal perspective and they're not making you know business decisions so by showing them business type uh, you know reports of who was actually selling what and they could flip through there and find out the gal that they know that they're about to list with has only sold three houses in the past 22 years, well, maybe that puts the whole idea of listing with her in a different context. That's what you can learn from these MLS classes, Julie. Yeah. So what you're, you did a deep dive into how a little more experienced agent can find competitive advantages. So this actually has two parts. One is for the super newbie, you know, yeah. it's, it's literally becoming functional. How do you get an MLS? How do you actually put a listing in? It's like super basic to begin. And then as you learn it better, you can do way more interesting things like what you just said. I remember we also would look up uh, when we knew who we were competing against and how do you know that? Because you have your pre-qualification script and find out. And we would find out that they were almost exclusively a buyer's agent. Yep, so you could also right. use that you know, that they don't actually have any listing. Uh, and what a lot experience. of you, a lot of you guys will get these emails from these tech companies bragging about their, you know, sort of deep dive, you know, AI type research. All they're doing is scraping info, MLS information and repackaging it and selling it back to you. All these companies that sell you these turnkey MLSs with these fancy graphs and everything, do you realize that your MLS itself probably has that exact software that you can be using for your own CMAs and you don't need to use third-party vendors to do CMAs? Your MLS is 
really unbelievably cool with the different types of services and education you could obtain there. You just have to go there. You have to take yeah. the time. Point number um, three. They also, by the way, a lot of MLSs have added se uh, seller net sheets. So you can do yeah. it right through your MLS, which yep. is kind of cool. Okay, point number three. Related to that, take a contracts class from your board of realtors or from your brokerage. It's not worth risking your new license over rookie mistakes. So actually, no, contracts have gotten way more complicated. Know what you're doing. Well, and, but, you know, the way that works nowadays is most brokerages like eXp Realty and whatnot, mm -hmm. you're using a, a DocuSign type contract sure, deal. But, but you and, should know what it actually means. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's because yeah. you have to know what it means because, you yeah. know, it's called being competent. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> Point number yeah. four. Uh, four. We're going to go through these basic ones pretty quick. Point number four, attend a buyer closing. Take notes and ask questions after the buyer leaves. Um, and then the next point, number five, is uh, attend a seller closing, take notes, and ask questions after the seller leaves. Now, some, uh, like where Julie and I sold real estate, you actually would be sitting at a closing table with your seller and the buyer and the title agent. In other um, states, it doesn't work like that. Everyone signs their paperwork individually. But in both cases, it's really important um, if you can sit with the title agent as they walk the buyer through their net sheet or, uh, you know, essentially all closing the closing statement. docs, yep. right? And same with the seller, because then you can actually learn with all those things uh, mean. And again, it makes it so you're more competent and more competent means you're more confident, which means you're going to probably be willing to have more in-depth, meaningful conversations with the prospective clients. Point number six. Yes. Attend a buyer's loan application. Ask the lender that you're working with, probably recommended by your broker, for the checklist that buyers are given prior to the loan application. Your, your mortgage people can give that to you as well. But what is actually required to complete the process? So let, let's get this is a big thing, actually. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Well, so I'll tell you guys why that's really incredibly important. Julie and I will, obviously, is that point number one, a lot of times what you're doing is you're working with buyers that actually have not been really had any sort of pre-qualification or pre-approval. So let's start with a very basic understanding. The pre-qualification and pre-approval, those terms mean absolutely nothing. Um, so the only, so what you have to do is um, you have to ask, and this is part of our, what's it called? The ultimate addendum. What do you have it labeled as on the website? The ultimate addendum. Ultimate addendum. Yeah. So we originally developed this when we were listing agents and we were getting contracts on some of our listings, obviously, from buyer's agents who had not pre-qualified their buyers. And actually they thought they had, and the lender had churned out some mm -hmm. sort of garbage, you know, desktop publishing lender's letter. And so we essentially got burned on a lot of these deals where the buyer turned out hadn't even actually applied for the loan. You know, they called up some lender and the lender just essentially sent them a quick letter saying, you know, Bob and Susan are pre-qualified for this mortgage up to whatever the amount was. But then, you know, we didn't know that essentially all the things that hadn't actually been discovered about that borrower's ability to borrow. So we created this thing called the ultimate addendum. And what we did is every time we, you know, as listing agents, we also use it as a checklist on the buyer side, obviously. But as listing agents, when we get contracts, we'd immediately sent that uh, form back and we would say, we need a lender's letter from you within 48 hours. And the lender's letter basically has to validate all these things. And here are just some of the things, right? Ready for this, listeners? Verification of employment. Now you say, well, that's a big deal. No. Has the ver verification actually been done? Has there actually been a form that went to the employer and came back and said, this person's had this job? Verification of assets to close. That would be actually, and are those assets seen? So that would be essentially banking statements, banking information. And here's the other one. This one's very classic for um, lenders not to ever do until the last minute. 
Um, so it would be a three merge credit report. Have they checked with Experian, Trans, uh, TransUnion, and Equifax? Do you know what the combined credit score is? You can have two credit scores and two of the reporting places be fantastic and one be terrible. And that one terrible one's going to basically screw up their ability to borrow money. You've got to understand that the lender is trained and coached. This is how it actually works and not by us to do no work on the file until the buyer's actually in contract. So well, it's worse I, than that. They don't do it until they're through the inspection period, yeah. which is usually 17 days, 17 to 20 days. Um, and some of them will also wait for the appraisal to come back. And appraisals are very delayed right now. Yep. This is the exact reason why underwriting, which happens at the 11th hour, that's when they gather all this stuff up typically. That's why you guys get calls, you know, an hour before closing, two days before closing, where, oh, guess what? We discovered an underwriting. Well, their credit has dropped by 40 points because they went and financed something because that screwed up their ratios or we didn't verify something. So what we recommend, first of all, you've got to know what it takes to get a loan. And there's like 10 other things too, by yeah. the way. We have this ultimate addendum. We've done podcasts on that. Too. We have, but the real takeaway that all of you have to understand is go uh, understand that not all obviously lenders are the same and all lenders are uh, going to basically procrastinate doing any real work on the file until you've wasted a thousand Sundays showing houses, yeah. until the appraisals, are, until the inspections have been done. Sometimes, like Julie said, until the appraisal has been done. Because remember, the appraisal costs the borrower something usually and the seller is going to also I mean the, and the home inspection is going to cost the borrower something so the idea is that the borrower is already going to be out a thousand bucks or whatever so they might as well basically do whatever it takes to close but they might not have the ability to close there's so many little nuanced things that in uh, lending nowadays can really stymie a borrower's ability to you know purchase a house and we make fun of ourselves about all the dumb things that we screwed up our first year mm -hmm. like for example this some I wouldn't even bore you with all the details, but anyone who's been in the business as long as we have, you've you've generally speaking had to learn on the job too. <laughs> yeah, similar stories, but that's why that's why we do these podcasts. Why we have coaching, right? And so for all of you guys who are thinking about um, essentially, you're looking for a broker to sponsor, you're looking for a broker to move to that's going to be more in line with the values and the and the business owner and the person you want to be. I would strongly encourage you to look into EXP Realty. And yes, of course, Julie and I are associated with EXP Realty. We'd love to talk with you about us sponsoring you at EXP Realty and you becoming part of our EXP Realty family. If you'd like to talk directly with us, if you're ready to join EXP, text me directly at 512-758-0206. You would have Tim and Julie Harris as your own personal sponsor at EXP Realty. So sponsor us directly. I'm sorry, text me directly at 512-758-0206 if you're ready to join EXP Realty, 512-758-0206. Next point, Julie. Number seven, and this one is bigger than you guys probably think. Tour, as in go check them out, 10 homes in each price segment of your market going from lowest to highest or highest to lowest. Do it in an organized fashion. So let's say that I want to move to Austin, Texas, What? and I'm a first-time buyer. What's my best choice? If I can only go to say 450,000, where, what am I, what do I get? What are my options? Then you bump it up to maybe 450 to 600,000. Why is this? We have seen after many, many coaching calls and just knowing all of you guys, most agents get real uncomfortable showing anything higher priced than what they're actually living in or different than their neighborhood or condos versus houses or luxury versus not. So the more you're familiar with, the more likely you are to say, yes, it would be my pleasure to help you with that. In fact, I showed a house yesterday that meets your exact criteria. Most people know their parents' house or what they grew up in, their best friend's house. 
and you know maybe a couple open houses. They're just not that familiar. So you're going to be less likely to say yes. Now, I want to take a little pause here, and I want to point out that nowhere in what we've told you so far, and by the way, nowhere in the following points are we going to tell you to buy leads. Nope. Nowhere are we going to tell you to buy buyer leads. Nowhere are we telling you to basically work on your branding or your mm. logo or your website yeah. or trying to make yourself the mayor of the town or believing that a bunch of YouTube videos are going to get you leads. I want to be very, very clear about that. So look, you guys could do, you could be the best social marketer genius there ever was. And you might be able to essentially have a lot of people watch your videos and consume your content. And by the way, and in, in, in itself, that actually might create revenue for you if you're really, really good at it. But for the most part, you're, you are deluding yourself to believe that you're actually going to generate meaningful amounts of closable transactions from all of that stuff. And we'll, we've told you guys this a million times, and hopefully Julie can remember the statistics better than me, mm -hmm. but I'll set up the scenario and Julie, you can throw in the numbers, okay? okay? All right, so let's say you had to hire a roofer today to fix the roof on your garage. For whatever reason, the roof on the garage is leaking. The process in which you're going to go about uh, choosing who to hire is the same one that everyone goes through. And by the way, guys, this is proven absolute, uh, you know, essentially research for generations about how people go about making buying decisions. You operate like this. So just hear us through. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to say, well, who do I know? Do I actually know a roofer that I trust that I could hire for the job of fixing that roof? And if you don't, then what you're going to do is you're going to move on to the second thing that most people do when making decisions and who they're going to hire and sometimes even what they're going to buy. Um, but, they're going to, but mostly who they're going to hire as a service provider. The buying decision tree has actually been altered quite a bit from the internet. But the service provider tree is uh, essentially decision-making tree is the same as it's always been. So the next thing you're going to do is you're going to move to, um, well, who do I actually know? Who do I actually know that can give me advice as a to a trusted friend or advisor. You're going to ask a trusted friend or advisor about who I can, um, you know, possibly use to hire for the job of fixing my roof. And the third thing is, is basically then maybe you'll respond to an ad. Well, now, let's go back to the stats though, right? Well, so it's something let me, like, let me inject yeah. something okay. here. Okay. Now some of you in your heads are going to be arguing with me about, about what I just said, because you're going to have believed and essentially fallen prey to the idea that you're going to win if you uh, essentially have gotten a bunch of reviews on Zillow or whether you know you've done you've invested a lot to create a whole bunch of essentially noise online in some particular place. Well, I'm going to give you a reason why you need to be fearful of wasting a lot of time. I'll give it specific to Zillow reviews. As Zillow becomes a national brokerage, which they already are, as Zillow starts competing with you, do you really think there's a chance in hell the national or the reviews that you've basically spent all your time trying to build up inside Zillow, and this is for the agents who have been in the business for a while, do you really think those uh, they're going to allow competitive marketing information about someone who actually might take a transaction away from one of their Zillow agents to appear on their website? Of course they won't. They're already removing sales history from agents. Exactly. So they're removing sales history. They're going to then basically start to, you're on there. You spent all this time. And I know agents who have spent probably tens of thousands of dollars sure. giving away gifts and trying to do all sort of creative things to get Zillow reviews. And now basically all that time is going to be wasted. And I knew a bunch of people also that, it's, you know, we're doing a whole bunch of stuff on Facebook and that changes. And they spend a whole bunch of time on Instagram well, and that you're not basis. in control is the bottom line. You're you, not in control. It might work for you for a little bit, but it's not going to long term because they just change the rules on you. Thus, 90% of you fail within 24 months because you don't listen to, you know, your best friend coaches, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the fallacy of real estate. And when you essentially are getting into the business or getting re-engaged into the business, if you happen to fall into one of the sticky webs of somebody that's hmm. to selling you into believing that that's how you build your business, you're not going to be around long enough for that, for essentially to, you know, invalidate what they said. This is happening now. 
This, this is going to continue to happen. So where you invest in your time and energy is on your skill set and essentially becoming a very effective salesperson. Now to the percentages, Mrs. Harris. Yes. So it always, they do this all the time and it always comes out basically the same. So the, the first one, like, who do I already know? It's like 87% of the time the decision is made, asked and answered, you're done. Okay. So I probably already know somebody. Okay, but maybe you just moved there. And they, you know, like we just moved to Puerto Rico. I don't always know the right service provider. So next I go to a trusted friend or advisor, right? So maybe my next door neighbor just did their roof. So I'm going to ask who they use because they've already gone through the process. And that gets you up to about 94, 95% of the time where I either already knew somebody or I got a referral from somebody that I trust. Only about four or five percent of the time do you then turn to marketing or media. Right. That's so. The, but that's, and, and yet, where do agents spend all their time? It's like flip flop. They'll spend ninety five percent of their time trying to be an influencer, and only five percent of the time on anything else. And why do they spend all their time there? That's the well, thing. It's more fun. It's more fun. That's right. It yeah. doesn't require rejection. It sure. doesn't require non confrontational. It's non confrontational. But really, the reason they're doing it is because no one is giving them a counterpunch to what happens is if you invest your time in the wrong place, and oftentimes except your money, us. you're not going to except for Julie and I, right? Well, Read our book, Harris it, Rules. It feels good to them because they get some recognition. Well, but that's really whatever, what it is. Know? That's yeah. what it is. They're Sure. They're getting recognition. They're being made to feel successful when truthfully they're not. Yeah. Assuming you measure your success by the number of people you help. Well, recognition and profit are not the same thing. But that is the thing that gets manipulated when you get into real estate. Exactly. What it happens when they get into real estate is that essentially your your ego, you're not used to the influx and the barrage of Mickey Mouse that you're going to be having hit your email box and people calling you. It's going to be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. And what they're always trying to sell you is easy, uh, essentially widgets that are supposedly going to make it so that you don't have to lead generate. And they're all also going to sell you things that are supposed to make you feel successful when you really truly aren't being Successful. successful being having helped a bunch of people. So I want you to really, really start being a, a very particular, you know, not a skeptic to the point where you're in a, unable to make decisions, but a skeptic to the point where you start having really tough filters in place before you listen to anybody. Well, you can listen to them, but before you decide to do what the hell they're saying. And the filters that we always put in place is, number one, have they sold real estate before? If they've not sold real estate before, that should just be an immediate eject button. If you are trying to sell me something on how to sell real estate and you've never sold real estate, I have no interest in listening to what you say. That should be a filter. Number Number two, you have they sold? If they did sell real estate, did they sell real estate at a high level? And a high level, in my opinion, would be at least a hundred houses a year. Now, number three, did they sell real estate at a high level for a long period of time? No. So you may have had someone who is trying to sell you some whiz bang idea that sold uh, you know hundred houses in a year, but that was it. They never did it again. Oh, and by the way, the hundred houses were all a subdivision that their uncle Bob built. You guys get it? So when you're just when you're deciding who to listen to, start being very very specific about what you're going to expect out of the person that you're seeking advice from. I would go as far as say to four, the number four would be, and I I don't know how to quite verbalize this, but does can the person actually prove that they've earned say for example a million dollars in real estate commissions, right? Can they actually go to the point where they're not just successful, but they're really successful to the point where they're actually making real money? Maybe a million dollars would be million dollars in profit. And then you've got somebody that probably isn't full of, you know, I'm not allowed to say the word or all, oh, Zoe, dollar. <laughs> Next right. point. Exactly. Point number eight, use your MLS to figure out which zip codes or MLS codes in your county or city are selling the fastest and the most volume. This is what we call what's hot and what's not. 
Some of you guys don't do any research and you say, well, I'm going to go spend all this money marketing and, and doing what I want to do because the houses are pretty there or because I want a well, big average sale price. And yet, then you do the research and maybe they don't sell that fast. Well, so there's two sides to that, right? Sure. So you're deciding to do the market and most of you are going to choose the market in which you live. Okay, and that's not, maybe that's great. Might even be perfect, right? Could if you be. have friends and family and you know the different you know nuances of the community, that's a great idea. But if then you get into the MLS, and I'm going to give you both sides of this. If you get into the MLS, and again, I realize in the country right now, this is not the greatest of examples, but just for the future, you know, uh, essentially for you in the future, who's thinking about what to do in their business. If you get into the MLS and find out the days in the market is measured in, you know, leap years, if yeah. you're finding that the, everything expires and maybe, and, and that happens in communities, even in a hot seller's market for a whole variety of reasons, local employers leaving, it could be a, a situation where new construction, not so far away is kicking the resales, but there's all kinds of different things that can cause that to happen. But when you're getting into a particular market and deciding to invest not just money, like Julie said, but also time, just effort. Mental and, energy. Yeah. Right. You better make sure you know for sure that that market's actually going to essentially meet you in your financial needs. Because if you get into something and it's measured, you know, the days in the market are measured in years, is that really where you want to be spending your time? Won't you probably go broke before you actually mm -hmm. get a paycheck from that? Now, here's a flip side to it. If you, if you are living in a market like that or you see a market like that, that people, have, you know, agents aren't even trying to compete in anymore. And I'm not talking about, you know, markets that are unsafe or unsavory or anything like that. I'm just talking, it happens all over the place. That might actually be a huge opportunity for you to go there and crack some eggs, go in there and basically shake up the uh, existing uh, real estate agent aristocracy and start having conversations with those expiring sellers. And then you're going to then get re the houses repositioned on the market because the other agents weren't willing to mm -hmm. talk with them about the truth about pricing. Julie and I did that in several markets when we sold real estate. Yeah. Well, uh, but the point is to know what you're signing yourself up for, right? Yep. I, there's another version of this mistake, which is, especially with new agents, I see this a lot. I'm going to be, I'm going to get into REOs. And then I do a search in their zip code and there's no pre-foreclosures in what they think that they're going to go after. And they could have spent so much time. And money. When there was, it, it wasn't them. It's just, there's nothing to be had in that zone where they're looking. So just know what you're getting into. If you guys want to know how to really have an unfair advantage and get your unfair share and, and not just real estate, but anything in life, the way ultimately you win isn't just basically, you know, buying leads and all the other things that people will tell you. It's having a skill set that other people don't have. And I'll just make this as plain as possible. You're fitting, you're sitting in front of a seller that you have no existing relationship with other than you're having an opportunity to list this house, right? There, it's not a, it's not an easy listing for you. And let's just say the seller's interviewing three or four different agents. That seller is going to basically know how to discern an agent with a skill set versus an agent that doesn't. And so if you know actually how to answer the seller's question, meet the seller where they are, if you have a pre-listing pack, if you pre-qualified that seller, you know the seller's motivation, you actually know how to do a CMA at a high level and you roll in there and you're professional, what you'll discover is that is the most incredible superpower that you can imagine, not having a bunch, not being an Instagram influencer, not just because, you know, you perceive yourself as being famous and then people are going to come wanting to do business with you. In real estate, people are going, especially as you get into the upper end price ranges, they will put zero value on that social Mickey Mouse. What they're going to focus on is your skill set, but most importantly, your track record for actually delivering on results that they're going to demand. That is the, that's how life works. And by the way, Aren't you the same way when you're trying to make decisions on who you're going to hire? Are you really going to hire a dentist 
based on essentially their Instagram profile or the fact that they're a Twitter influencer or whatever. No, you're going to hire the influ- the dentist based on the first two criteria, whether you know or not they actually are trusted as being able to solve other people's problems. Next point, Mrs. Harris. Yes. Okay. So point number nine, and then we probably need to wrap and do yep. this tomorrow. Point number nine, tour, actually go visit and get to know new construction if your area has it. Now, some of you don't think you have it, but you do. You won't usually find it in your MLS. A lot of them are adding it now. So you might have to look in your local paper or use the magic Google machine. Tour all price ranges and keep a new construction file so you know who's building what and where, right? So in your market, what are you know six or eight track home builders that are pretty standard issue? And then who's custom, semi-custom? Who has builder financing? What are the models? You know, who has inventory? And so that that does a lot of different things. One is it's a great spoke, you know, it's a great avenue of business. And we have a whole section on the on I know. The website There's so many different it. ways you can go at that point. That's a whole podcast I know. in itself and has been. Um, but also to find stuff for your buyers that you can't find anything for, go to New Construction. It's my favorite solution to nothing in the MLS for my buyer. Well, and uh, so you don't have track homes in your immediate area, no big you know developers, and that's going to be true with a lot of more expensive areas in particular. You need to go get to know the individual builders. Join the BIA. Get the yeah. BIA's builder list. Um, again, a great idea. Most I think there's a BIA chapter, builders, uh, what is it? Build something. Of I can't remember. What independent association. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I think but, it is that. But yeah. Google it. And then you'll discover that you can get this list, essentially their Rolodex, and start calling the builders and ask if they're planning on specking anything or if they've got anything that they're building or any lots that they want to build on and start to get to know all the, get to know all the builders. And in these, at least the uh, directories I've seen before, they actually segment the builders based mm-hmm. on the areas of town in which they build in. And, it, and the price range they build in, how many homes they build a year. It's a great, great resource. Well, just making this really practical, we have coaching clients that were, um, and they still are, and sort of like uh, in Houston, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, Vinod, he does this. He'll go and seek out a couple properties where essentially the lots are really big, and then he'll go and put them in contract, and then he has a builder, several builders then, that will move in and essentially build uh, multiple condos on that uh, you know, there's two or three parcels that he bought. And guess what? He makes money in the land. He makes money when those mm-hmm. houses get listed. He's making money every step of the way. There's so many different ways to yes. help people make money in real estate. But the builders are a huge resource. I'll tell you guys a funny story to round the bend on today's show. So Julie and I are sitting in our house in uh, New Albany. And Julie gets a call. And the call was from a guy named Matt Truco, who is a great builder in uh, Central Ohio. But we didn't know Matt personally. We knew his name, but we didn't know him personally. But we did know that Matt um, was building in this New Albany Country Club area because we'd seen his sign a couple places. So he calls up and he says, essentially... <laughs> you mean the dirt call? Yeah, the dirt call. Yeah, well, at the time, I didn't know it was Matt Truecall. Yeah. And I almost... This, this is... A, uh, also a lesson in always be on top of your voicemail and always call everybody Furiously, fastly follow up. Because but here's the what it sounded like. Yeah. Uh, this is Matt, and I know you've got a listing over there on whatever court. And, I, you know, can I drop off some fill dirt? Because I guess you guys have a walkout lower level. Maybe you could use some dirt. And by the way, the listing we had was from another builder, and mm-hmm. we got that other builder because of the advice we're giving to you guys now, because yes. we went and worked and it. These are our custom builders. These oh, yeah. Are not, high you know, end. This 800 is million, stuff. $2 million. Yes. And so Matt basically was calling us thinking that we were the builder of that lot and asking us, because we had a sign on it with our phone number, asking us if we wanted the fill dirt from the hole he was about to dig on. Which the ha- was around the corner, and he could have just dropped it off. Exactly. And yeah. so, and so you know, Julie and I were like, hold on. Um, and then it turns out our guy, 
didn't want the dirt. We did want the dirt, the builder we'd signed. But the, anyway, aside from that, then we started this conversation. Here's what happened. Not only did Matt end up listing the one that he was digging the hole for, but he listed another one that he was going to spec on with us. And then he listed one he had uh, listed with the, uh, essentially in, um, it was, uh, where was it? It was in Powell. Yeah, another one, another area of town. It, it, so this is what custom that builders was se- do, That was right? $750,000. Yeah. And then like maybe a year and a half mm-hmm. later, he listed 73 condos with us. Yes, because of a dirt call, what, you know, <laughs> which I almost deleted. Okay, so here's the thing. He, you wouldn't have found him in the MLS. You know, maybe something would have expired, but probably not. So you have to go hunting, and really, one thing leads to the next. We wouldn't have gotten that call if we didn't have the original builder. Right. Wouldn't have gotten the business if we hadn't called him back, asking questions. One thing leads to the next. So don't feel like it has to be just track homes and model homes. And There's we did, so many different ways. We, we to established do this. this relationship probably in the fourth year of our uh, real estate career. Yeah. We didn't. You don't have to. That's a big fallacy. We don't have this yeah. as a point in Julie's points, but you don't have to wait forever to become a listing agent. Julie and I sold over a hundred houses our first year in the business. And the way we did it is, guess what? We went after sellers because we quickly figured out that most of those sellers are going to buy something. So one listing equals at least two transactions, right? At least two transactions. So that's what we did. We did not focus on buyers. We absolutely focused well, on the going after sellers. Came. It's not that we didn't oh, yeah. work the buyers. It's that we weren't looking for them. They came because we had the listings and because we worked the listings, they generated, you know, sometimes I remember some of our first listings, first time buyer neighborhood, man, we probably did... I don't know, 20 deals off of two or three listings. We did. Because buyers were not a problem. But we'd hold them open. We'd work All the, the snot out of them. We were furiously fast lead follow-up. We usually sold them ourselves. We did. We followed up. You right. know? And then, then a couple of years later, because these houses were like three square feet, they <laughs> would then move up. And those would become some of our first past clients in our database. And, and that's the thing. So really, as new, newer, or returning agents, you don't need to have... 20 listings all at once. You just need two or three good ones in the beginning that will spin up into everything else. The worst thing you can do is hide behind your computer. That's really, or frankly, your camera. The worst thing you can do is basically hide out thinking that passive stuff you're going to do is bring, is going to bring the deals to you. And I know everyone's telling you that. And I know everyone's not, nobody's telling you guys to learn how to be listing agents. They're all trying to get you to focus on basically starting out as a buyer's agent and probably be a buyer's agent buying leads as part of a team and all this other Mickey Mouse. They're just basically being self-serving with the advice they're giving you. Well, they don't want the competition. Well, more importantly, though, they need agents to go out there and sell houses for them so they can make their little margins off their transactions. So we're going to go through, I think, six or seven different points uh, tomorrow. And I know some of you, as Julie said, who are returning, maybe mentally, emotionally, hopefully financially to real estate, you're listening to us go through these points and you're probably going through a mental checklist of, whoop, did that one wrong? Did that one wrong? And that's okay. okay. Exactly. Right. I mean, everyone makes mistakes, but as the old proverb goes, there's a smart man or woman learns from their mistakes. A brilliant one learns from the mistakes of others. Well, you might be in the position to learn from both your mistakes and the others' mistakes as we kind of go through these points with you over the next day. Bottom line is, guys, is this is the best time in our 25 years in real estate to be in real estate. The opportunities that are in front of all of you um, are just extraordinary. All the winds are at your back. If you're not feeling like that, you just need to turn around and realize you're going in the wrong direction. It's not. It really is that simple. Look, there's going to be headwinds. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be bumps in the road. But everybody right now is real estate curious. Everybody's going to want to buy or sell a house. The demographic shifts that are happening are unbelievable. Never before 
before in the history of maybe humanity has there been this many people that are, you know, essentially going to have to transact. Baby boomers downsizing, millennials and Generation X and now Generation Z, they're all going through transformative periods in their lives where they're going to be buying and selling real estate. Interest rates are ridiculously low. But the biggest reason I think that real estate is going to continue to excel is because the whole mindset of owning a home was tested after the housing crash of 07 and 08 and 09. That was a really treacherous time for real estate in as an industry, but also for the, you know, essentially the uh, belief that it's part of the American dream. Well, guess what? Real estate won and yes. it came back and, you know, well, here the we unbridled are. enthusiasm by totally. the, the market, by the agents, by the, I've read builder sentiment is, is at the highest level since the boom recovery. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the only question is how are you going to participate in this and at what level? Real estate now is a career to aspire to being part of. That has virtually I think that's no. Different too. I know it's totally. Mm-hmm. When you and I are in real estate, it was a fallback to the fallback to the yeah, fallback. Yeah, it was like what job couldn't you get? I know, and <laughs> right? it's it's exceptional yeah. now that this that the attitude has changed so much. It's, it's exciting. Awesome. You know, it is. It truly is. So make the most of it, guys. But if you're going to essentially establish a long-term career, make sure you do it uh, predicated on the idea that you are going to be the best, not just because you're trying to become an influencer and fool people into thinking that you're the best, but because you actually have earned the right to be the best in your community in the marketplace. Never before has there been this much opportunity in real estate for the agents that are actually willing to do the real work of real estate. Um, so your first and maybe only homework assignment for this and tomorrow is going to be go get our book, Harris Rules. You want to definitely get that. Amazon's the quickest, easiest way. You can get an Audible as well. Um, and if you'd like to talk with Julian about joining our EXP group, please do feel free to text me directly at 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.